Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Uh, in the summer, the last couple of years we've done this, it's, it's, it's called, this, we don't do a series throughout the summer, we do like, uh, something each Sunday, and we call it the Summer Playlist. And I like this because uh, what it gives us the opportunity to do with Larry or myself or whoever is teaching is to teach on something that is current in their life, something that, that's going on right now that God happens to be showing us in the moment. So I, that's what I get to do this morning. I get to share with you something that God is currently uh, teaching me and um, encouraging me with. And so, you know, something that God's teaching me is also code for I'm not getting it right a lot. <clears throat> so just, uh, just to let you know. So there's some successes in there, but it's also something that, that God is, is working on in my life. Today is, is Father's Day. I'm a father of, of four and, you know, could be, could be more here coming soon. Um, but we're just uh, very excited. Um, I love being a dad, and um, all relationships are important. Uh, but there is something unique about relationship with a father. Uh, there's something special about relationship with a father. Um, and it's evidenced by you know, when people have a great relationship with their dad, kind of the, the positives that come along with that. And if someone has a difficult relationship with their earthly father, then the, the hard things that come with that as well. And so there's something unique, special about that relationship with the father. And today we're going to look at, at Jesus' relationship with his father and what that means for us. A couple weeks ago, my youngest son came home from school and he was telling a story. This is Joseph or, or Jojo or Yo-Yo or Totes. We have a lot of nicknames in our house. But he came home and he told a story about how he made his whole class laugh, including the teacher. And he's kind of like a class clown, and, and my wife leans over and kind of elbows me, and she's like, that's you. <laughs> like father, like son. Uh, I like attention. I like to make people laugh. And so my son gets that for me as well. But we can relate to the fact that, that parents rub off onto their kids, right? Uh, some, some of those things, maybe not great things, but they, they get, translate to our kids, and some of those are awesome, and they, they do translate to our kids, and they take that on. Jesus took on the traits of his father. Like father, like son. So maybe there's some images that come to mind when you hear like father, like son. You know, maybe something like, like this. Kind of, it's pretty cool. How about, how about this one right here? I like it, all right. Going, oh, that's, that's good, and that's, they look the same, okay? Keep going. All right. They're both pretty talented, you know, like father, like son, okay? <laughs> Love that, so good. That's, that's just weird. And this one, this one's my favorite right here. Um, like father, like son, not, there we go. So if it's, on, if it's on Facebook, it's fair game, right? I can put it up in, in church. Um, like father, like son. So I'm going to talk about this idea of Jesus reflecting who his father is. Um, I'm going to open up God's word here in a moment. I'm going to pray here in a moment. But I do want everyone in here to know that I'm glad that you're here. 
uh, whether you are here because someone made you come or um, you're here because you're super excited. Um, the, the fact that you're here, I'm, I'm excited. And I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, let me pray. God, I do ask that uh, this is your moment, that this is a time that uh, your character uh, shines and that each of us are able to uh, be encouraged or challenged um, by what we hear uh, through your spirit today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So I'm going to string together a few different ideas this morning, uh, but I think that they're all connected, and I think that, that you'll see that as well and uh, be able to encourage uh, your faith. So whether you find yourself as a follower of Jesus now or you're, you're looking to find what is true, uh, hopefully we can all be uh, encouraged uh, towards, towards who Jesus is. Uh, but like I said, God is teaching me some things right now, and... Um, so I just want to say the statement, the Bible isn't important. Long pause. The Bible isn't important if Jesus wasn't who Jesus was. It all points to him. It points to Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. If that's not true, then we have something completely different. It all points to Jesus. All of what we believe as a Christian church, all of the authority of Scripture, all Christian tradition, all theology or ways that we understand God, the creation story, the whole universe, the body of Christ, uh, locally around the world, is irrelevant without Jesus. It all hinges on Him. And Jesus is a son. And Jesus has his father. Without the father, we wouldn't have the son. Jesus is the main point. He's the climax of the story. He's the pinnacle of perfection. He is our reason for hope. And it's because of who his father is. You know, the, the climax of the story, that's always the, the, the best part of the movie, right? You know that, that I'm sure in the, I can only imagine there's a great climax uh, in the Avengers, you know, Infinity War that just came out at the very end when Spider-Man dies, you know, it's like a climb. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert to the folks who, who haven't uh, seen that. Half, half of them die. But that, the, <laughs> what? Sorry, you have to watch the movie to see who. So that's, that's the, the point, right? It all comes to there. And that's who Jesus is. And the great thing about Jesus as the son is he reflects who his father is. It sounds good, right? Okay, uh, if you know Jesus, then you say, all right, great. Jesus, I have the spirit, I'm part of the church, so let's do that. Um, the problem is, is we don't always reflect who Jesus is very well as individuals or as a church. You know, throughout history, throughout all of time, the church has done amazing things. Miracles, powerful, God-sized things has changed individuals, changed families, changed cultures, changed nations. But the same is also true that the church has done some harm. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, individuals, local churches, church, we, we haven't got it right. 
all the time. So we, we do things that take us away that are not a reflection of who Jesus is and who his Father is. So that's what I'm going to press in on today. That's where the Lord is, is refining me currently. Um, and I believe that, that Jesus' life, the way he lived, gives us a perfect example of that. And then Jesus says, I'm going to leave with you my spirit, and then you are going to be my reflection to the rest of the world. And I believe the perfect example of this is the passage that we're going to look at today from Acts 2, 43, 42 through 47. You can pull up your Bible app or Bible if you want. It will also be on the screen. But I believe this passage gives us the perfect example of what the church should be. It's the best example. So it's the day of Pentecost. So I had to remind myself what that originally was for because it takes on a new meaning now. But the day of Pentecost was a Jewish celebration, Jewish festival, and it was a Jewish festival celebrating the day that God gave his Ten Commandments to, the, to people, to man. So it's a celebration of the day that God gave his Ten Commandments to his people. And then fast forward to the day of Pentecost where they're celebrating, they're remembering that, and then that's the day that God gives his spirit to the world. And what happens is this perfect example of what church is supposed to look like. And so a little bit of context before we read the passage. Jesus had lived 30 years, and then he had three years of ministry where he was you know, teaching, doing miracles with his disciples, traveling around, uh, making people really upset and making people really excited all at the same time. He lives, he dies on the cross, this horrible death, and then he raises again and he appears to many people. And then he is saying, like, as he's leaving, ascending into heaven, he's like, okay, now I'm going to leave with you my spirit. And you're going to be the church. And you're going to represent who I am to the rest of the world. And then this is the picture that we have immediately. This is what we get in this passage when Jesus gives us his spirit. Uh, starting in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I believe this was when the church was the most exciting and most perfect. And that's what we had. That, I mean, I'm signing up for that. I want to be a part of what was happening right there. It's crazy. Their number was added to daily. Their number was added to daily, those who believed in Jesus. So the main ingredients that we have uh, a part of that is, one, the apostles' teaching. The Bible, uh, faith conversations, reminders of who God's, what God's character is, and, and God's desire for our life. That was one of the ingredients of, of what I believe is the perfect church. Uh, fellowship, doing life together. They just 
spent time together. Food. Love that. I love me some food. Um, so they, they ate food together, but there's something that happens when you prepare a meal, and then you eat a meal, and then you clean up the meal, and when you do that with other people. There's just something that happens. It's, it's special. It's, it's real. You do, you do that every day. It's one, something that you need, and, and it, it just creates this, this bond when you eat together, you prepare a meal, you clean up together. There's just something that happens. So like, like we saw on the screen, Chris and I were on a cruise in Alaska. And so on this cruise, you, you do nothing except hang out and eat food. It was awesome. But we didn't, we didn't have to prepare any of the food, which was great. But it's a little unsettling. You, you, know, you go in and you grab the food, you sit down, you eat, and then you just like, where should I put this plate? Do I need to, nope. You just walk away, and it's awesome. But it's a little unsettling. It's like, uh, that's stuff I would normally clean that up, but I'm just going to. So there was a little bit of, you know, you're missing some of that, that time that where you're preparing it and you're cleaning up and you're together and you're working. There's just a rhythm to that. And that was, that's significant. It's significant to the church. And then they also uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper or communion. They would take the juice or the wine and this was a, you know, remembering who Jesus was, his blood that was shed, his body that was broken with the bread. But imagine, imagine you're these people and the church is going crazy, you know, the spirit and all this stuff is happening and these people celebrating communion together, the Lord's Supper. Like, they're able to say, okay, I'm drinking this in remembrance of Jesus and I was just with Jesus like two weeks ago and we were hanging out. And then I saw him die. And then he rose again. Imagine those people taking communion and, and eating the bread in remembrance of Jesus. That's crazy. They prayed. They devoted themselves to prayer. There was a sense of awe. There was so much faith happening that miracles and wonders were just, were just happening all the time. They met, together, met all together. So as believers, they were together with other believers constantly. And that means that you're with people that you like and with people that you don't like as much. But they were still together. And the attitude was of goodwill. Not the cheap clothing store goodwill, but the caring for one another type of goodwill. They were praising God. I would say so. You're seeing people added to the number daily. Miraculous things are happening. You know, there's love, there's sharing. They were praising God. And added to their number daily. That just stuck with me. It was such a contagious environment that people were being added to the number daily who believed in Jesus. I realized as I was preparing for this message that I kind of always pictured this day of Pentecost as like all these people are happening, hanging out, reading God's word, telling stories, eating together, sharing everything together, all these believers. But their number was being added to daily. So what wasn't happening was this. All this awesome stuff was happening and the other side of town was this someone who didn't know who Jesus was and they're like, oh, okay. 
Jesus, I know who you are. I believe in you. And then they came over here and they joined what was happening. I don't think that's what happened. What I think happened was all these believers were hanging out, sharing, you know, goodwill, God's word, but there were also unbelievers in there, in the mix, part of what was happening. And that's why their number was added to daily, because they were in the mix. They were there experiencing it. I don't think they were watching it. They might have. That could have happened too. I don't think they were watching from the side going, that looks pretty cool. I think I want to know who Jesus is now. And they might have done that. What I think was happening was as this church, as this body of Christ was interacting, loving with each other, it was believer, unbeliever, just all mixed together. And that's why people were so compelled to know who Jesus was. Can you imagine what it would look like here at North, at our church, if this is what it looked like every single day? That would be unbelievable. What do you think, what would happen to the city of Phoenix if the churches around lived like this? What would happen in the world if we lived like the day of Pentecost? It's important to remember that unbelievers were part of what was happening. That's why the number was added to daily. And that's where I want to press in a little bit. Press in on how, how we are loving not only other believers, but also unbelievers. And, and more than that, how are we doing loving the people who are difficult to love? Because I think if, if we're going to have the picture of Pentecost and be that church, we're going to have to love people who are more difficult for us to love. Jesus, he knocked down all social norms of how to love people. Jesus went against many of the religious laws and traditions to love people. Jesus hung out with believers who denied him and believers who betrayed him, and he loved them well. Jesus also hung out and spent time with sinners and people who did not believe in who he was, and he loved them well. No one really wants to admit that they have people in their life that they have a hard time loving, right? And we're not gonna, I'm not going to post on Facebook today, I really get annoyed by Aaron. <laughs> I have a hard time with him. I mean, we don't, we don't readily admit, right, that we have a certain people group or a certain person that we have a hard time caring for and loving. But we all have them, right? And I think if we went really hard after loving the people that we have a hard time loving, that it's going to take us in the direction of this day of Pentecost, this perfect picture of what the church is. So I'm going to, I'm going to say a statement <clears throat> that I heard 25 years ago, and it stuck with me. Um, and it challenges me and encourages me, but I'm not sure it's all the way true. So take it with a grain of salt, okay? It might be too strong of a statement or maybe theologically incorrect, but roll with me, okay? So the statement is this. You only love Jesus as much as the person that you love the least. You only love Jesus as much as the person that you love the least. Now, maybe that's too strong of a statement. I don't know. 
but it causes me to think, okay, who's the person I have the hardest time with? Is how, how am I doing in my relationship with Jesus in relation to this person? I mean, Jesus did say, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Who are the least of these? He also said, you know, don't just love the people who love you back, but love your enemies. You only love Jesus as much as the person you love to least. Maybe that's too strong, but it, it challenges me. So what person comes to your mind when you think of someone that you may not love very well? What people groups come to your mind? Some of us have really justifiable reasons why we would not be able to love someone very well. But Jesus did too. I think if we're going to be the church we're called to be, if we're going to if Jesus reflects his Father and we're to reflect Jesus and be the church, we have to go really hard after loving the people we have a hard time loving, the people who make us uncomfortable. And I, I kind of broke it down into three categories. I'm sure there's more categories, uh, but these are the ones that, that I came up with, with. This is why it's hard to love some people. <clears throat> One, if someone has hurt you or they've hurt someone that you care about. It's difficult to love those people. Now, sidebar, um, not necessarily addressing the someone who's abused you or abused someone that you love. There's different layers and, and a different way to handle maybe some of that. But at the same time, people who have hurt us or hurt the people that we love, it's just more difficult to, to forgive them, love them, right? An another category is this. It's hard to love people that live and believe differently than we do. It's hard to love people who live and believe differently than you. And I, I kind of broke this one down into two categories. If, if you're a fairly conservative person, not just politically, but kind of how you handle money, how you handle you know, socially, how, your, your moral standards, whatever those are, if you're a fairly conservative person, it's probably difficult for you to care and love someone who lives more liberally than you. And if, if, if you're a fairly liberal person, all the different areas of your life, the way you think, the way you live, it's probably more difficult for you to love people who are really conservative. So people who have hurt us or someone we love, people who live and think differently than us. And then it's also hard to love people when we're being selfish. Um, we, we want what we want, and we don't really care who we have to ignore or who we have to go through to get what we want. So yeah, we're not loving those people very well. Um, at, at different times in my life, I've, you know, I've struggled with all of these and probably struggle with all of them even currently today. But I asked my daughter Cassidy the other day, I was like, what, who do I struggle with the most, do you think, um, with, with loving people well? And she thought for a while, and she's like, probably people who are, that you would perceive as really conservative or legalistic, you probably have the hardest time loving those people. And I think she's right. But different times in my life, it's been people who have hurt me. It's been people who live more liberally. It's, it's when I've been selfish. You know, it's, it's hard to care for the people around me. But Jesus lived his life and showed us exactly what that is supposed to look like. And then he gave us the picture of the day of Pentecost and the Spirit. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for you, for me, to love the unlovely 
well. How do you do that? With that person that comes to your mind, with that people group, what do you do with that? How do you love them well? I think the first thing you do is you pray for them. Something happens in the spiritual realm where there's a battle that's being hap- going on when you pray, but also something happens in here when you pray for someone that's harder for you to love or maybe makes you uncomfortable or who has hurt you. And not, not, not this kind of prayer, not the kind of prayer that's like, God, I don't like that guy very much. He really needs to be a better person, so make him better. <laughs> I mean, you can pray that if you want, but it's probably more... The, the change is going to happen when you, when you pray a blessing over them. I, I, if Aaron is someone that, that I'm having a hard time with, I pray that God meets his needs. I pray that he is blessed. I pray that he uh, has the desires of his heart. I pray that he has healthy relationships. Something will happen if you pray for the folks you have a hard time loving. If you, if you then spend time with them, you just be with them. Now, if there are people that are hard for you to love, it's probably not going to be the funnest thing to do. It may be annoying. You may walk away with new things that you don't like about them. <laughs> but something will happen if you spend time with them because you'll start understanding why they do what they do you'll start understanding why they believe what they believe. Praying for them, spending time with them, and then do something extravagant for them. You know, the the thought that would go into that would be worth something. The sacrifice that it takes on your end would be worth something. And what that would show to them would be miraculous. It gets us in the direction of the day of Pentecost. It gets us in the direction of how extravagant Jesus loved all of us. And kind of to sum it up, we just choose to see them how Jesus sees them. When you, when you think of that person or that people group, how, how does Jesus see them? He sees what they do. He sees what they think. But he also loves them as much as he loves you and as much as he loves me. So we're compelled to go after them, pray for them, be with them, do something extravagant, and see them how Jesus sees them. So who is that for you? Who is that for our church? Who is that? Is it, you know, maybe it's someone in the room. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone you've never met before. Bob Goff has a new book called Everybody Always. And he tells a story. Uh, he's on his way to the airport. They stop somewhere. And while they stop, someone steals everything from inside the car, including his wallet. So he goes to the airport, and he's trying to explain who he is to the TSA agent. Well, uh, I'm, my name's Bob, and uh, I wrote a book. Maybe you can look it up online. I, I don't know. And then he uses that as an illustration to talk about our identity. What, what is our identity made up of? And he, he says it this way. He said, when it comes to our identity, it's not what we know or what our position is or who we associate with that, that, that identifies us. We are identified simply by how we love. 
And I would add, we're identified simply with how we love, especially the people that we have a hard time loving. It's interesting, in John 5, Jesus is with his disciples and they're doing awesome things and he walks up to a man who's paralyzed for, and had been paralyzed for a long time and he heals him. The guy gets up and he walks. And the reaction of the religious leaders to this awesome miracle was to be more mad at him, harass him more, and kill him quicker. I don't know how you get from the healing of someone to let's kill him faster. But that's what happens sometimes when we love really well. We're going to make other people uncomfortable. If you choose to love that person, that people group, really well, you'll get pushback. I'm not sure why. It's just the way it is. You're going to make someone upset. You're going to make them uncomfortable. That's just the way it happens. So I have a neighbor. His name's Chad. And I don't really like him. He's called the cops on us like 10 times because our dog barks for like 30 minutes. And so it's, it's not real, you know, I've gone down to his house, hey man, really sorry, like just call me next time. I'll make the dog stop. And he's like, well, you know, okay. So it's not very easy to want to pray for him, or spend time with him, or do something extravagant for him. You know, he, I see him back out with his big white truck and he drives down the road and it's like, you know. I don't, it's not easy to like Chad. Um, actually, he just moved away, so we do. Um, <clears throat> I don't have to worry about the dog thing anymore. But I didn't do this. I did pray for him a couple times, to be honest. But what if I had made, if, what if I spent time with Chad? Maybe I would have understood why more. What if I did something extravagant for him? Like I said, this is something God's currently working on, so code, I'm not doing a very good job at it all the time, right? So I did not do these things for Chad. But what would it look like if we did as a church? I'm not saying that you're not doing great things, but you know, I, I don't know of a church that looks exactly like this day of Pentecost. If you do, I'd love to go see it. But I think that's what God wants us to look at. Decide to love the unlovely. Because it's what Jesus did, and he's a reflection of his father. Like father, like son, like Jesus, like church. Like father, like son, like Jesus, like church. I think that's the picture he wants to give us. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you, uh, you gave us the perfect example of what it means to reflect your Father. And I pray for myself as an individual. I pray for our local church. I pray for the church around the world um, that we can be the reflection of you that you call us to be that will change the world. Give us the strength, the courage to do so. Ask these things in your name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, 
We wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Like Father, like Son, like Jesus, like Church. Um, Bob Goff, I think, said it well in that book. I reference everybody always. He's talking about people that are easy to love and the people that are hard to love, and he calls them neighbors. And he says it this way. Each of us is surrounded every day by our neighbors. They're ahead of us, behind us, and on each side of us. They're every place we go. They're sacking groceries and attending city council meetings. They're holding cardboard signs on street corners and ranking leaves next door. They play high school football and deliver the mail. They're heroes and hookers and pastors and pilots. They live on the streets and design our bridges. They go to seminaries and live in prisons. They govern us and they bother us. They're everywhere we look. It's one thing we all have in common. We're all somebody's neighbor and they're ours. This has been God's simple yet brilliant master plan from the beginning. He made a whole world of neighbors. We call it earth, but God just calls it a really big neighborhood. I like to look at the life of Jesus as he reflects the Father like that. That's the church I want to be a part of. Thank you for being here today. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.